Thank you, and Nina, thank you for that um, introduction. It's, uh, that's kind of one of those that you feel like you really uh, have to live up to, but thank you. And uh, also, Kendall, wherever you are, I am so thankful um, for the way that God uses artists, and I know that Kendall wrote that song for herself, but I really do feel like she wrote it for me, and um, the best and the worst part of us sometimes doing events together is she always does that song just before I speak, and so I always am in the front row, like wiping my eyes and sniffling, and it's an awesome moment. Um, one of the reasons I'm really thankful to be here today is um, the ocean is kind of my love language. Like, if there's something that really just makes me feel like, oh, the world is so good, and God is so good, um, watching the sunrise over the water is totally that for me. And I came in really late last night, and so Natalie was dropping me off, and she's like, that's it, that's the ocean right there. But, you know, for all I could see, it was a parking lot. Um, I believed her, but um, uh, it was really great to open my... Uh, curtains this morning and see the beauty uh, of the ocean. I hope that never gets old for you all. Um, as Nina mentioned, I'm from Chicago. Um, my dad has been here several times and he sends his greetings. Um, this is a community that he loves and is thankful for. And so, um, to be totally honest, I hate missing Sundays at Willow. If I'm going to miss them, I want to be in a place that feels like uh, it shares a similar love for people, love for the arts, uh, love for what God's doing in this world, and so it's totally an honor uh, to be here today. Um, I want to talk with you about a couple things. I'm going to read you a couple stories. I am not a pastor or a preacher. Um, I'm a writer and a storyteller, so I want to read you a couple stories. But essentially what I want to do is I want to encourage you to think a little bit differently, maybe, about what it's going to look like to, uh, to, to celebrate Thanksgiving, what you're going to be thankful for, and, and some of the conversations that you might have during this holiday season. And if your family is anything like my family, specifically my mother-in-law, right now it's Thanksgiving, meaning all of her fall decorations are up. And it's Thanksgiving, 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 until the second you have your last bite of pie... And then you set down your fork, and it's Christmas right then. She has one of those houses. I don't know if you have these out here, but in the Midwest, a lot of times your attic has like a crawl space. So it's like you set down your fork, you pull the string, and like 76 mini Christmas trees come down, and it's go time. So she's like, oh, yeah, what's happening? You know, she like grabs your plate away and starts handing you like garlands and stuff, and it's Christmas at that moment. So um, I don't know if that's how it is at your house, but it happens just that fast at her house. Um, and so the, the holidays are upon us. And what I know that that means for many people is uh, a lot of busyness, a lot of forced uh, merriment, and a lot of shallow conversations with people you don't see otherwise. Um, I, I think there might be a better way to do that. And what I would love to explore today is what does it look like to, to be grateful, to be thankful even for the things that are sometimes the darkest and the heaviest to carry? And then what does it look like to tell the really beautiful parts of God's story by telling the actual fabric of our day-to-day -day lives and finding the ways that God's working in our lives all the time? Um, I'm going to read for you two sections, and just by way of background, um, this whole season in my life, this last season in my life was the most difficult by far. And I learned the hard way some very important things about what it means to walk through change, to lose things that you love. Um, my best friend moved away. I lost a job that was really important to me. I lost a pregnancy, and then another one, 
I lost my grandmother. Um, I have been in one of those seasons where it almost seems like the hits are coming faster than you can even deal with them. And so when I say um, I know life can be difficult, I speak uh, with some authority over the last couple of years. And I know that in a room this size, I'm not the only one. I know that many of you are carrying something that feels so heavy, you're about to drop it at any second. What I also know is God does some of his best work when our hearts are broken and our futures are unclear, and he is in the business of repairing things that we have believed are irreparably broken. There is nothing that is too far out of his reach, nothing too dark, nothing too ugly, nothing too fragmented, no relationship beyond repair, no sin beyond his forgiveness and redemption, no story that can't be given a new ending because of his goodness. I know those things are true. I also know that sometimes when you're right in the middle of it, those things seem like impossibilities. And so I just want to read for you a couple short chapters and invite you into the possibility that gratitude might look different this year and that telling your story might be a better way to walk through the season than just rushing through with kind of the, the carols and the busyness. So this is called Learning to Swim. I learned about waves when I was little, swimming in Lake Michigan in navy blue water under a clear sky. And the most important thing I learned was this. If you try to stand and face the wave, it'll smash you to bits. But if you trust the water and let it carry you, there's nothing sweeter. A couple decades later, that's what I'm learning to be true about life, too. If you dig in and fight the change you're facing, it will indeed smash you to bits. It'll hold you under, drag you across the rough sand, scare and confuse you. This last season in my life has been characterized more than anything else by change. Hard, swirling, one after another changes. So many I can't quite regain my footing before the next one comes. Very much like being tumbled by waves. I know that to another person, my difficult season may have been a walk in the park. I know that all over the world, people suffer in unimaginable ways and manage far worse than my own little list. But I was miserable. And I was miserable largely because I lost touch with the heart of the story, the part where life always comes from death. I love the life part, and I always try to skip over that pesky death part. You can't do that as much as I've tried. I believe that God is making all things new. I believe that Christ overcame death and that pattern is apparent all through life and history. Life from death, water from a stone, redemption from failure, connection from alienation. I believe that suffering is a part of the narrative and that nothing really good gets built when everything's easy. I believe that loss and emptiness and confusion often do give way to new fullness and new wisdom. But if I'm honest, during that season, I prayed the way you order breakfast from a short order cook. This is what I want, period. This is what I want. Aren't you getting this? I didn't pray for God's will to be done in my life, or at any rate, I didn't mean it. I prayed to be rescued, not redeemed. I prayed for it to get easier, not that I would be shaped in significant ways. I prayed for the waiting to be over instead of trying to learn something about patience or anything else for that matter. I couldn't make peace with uncertainty, but there's nothing in the biblical narrative that tells us certainty is part of the deal. Every wave presents us with a choice to make, and quite often I've stood, both resolute and terrified, staring down a wave. 
I've been smacked straight on with the force of the water, tumbled, disoriented, gasping for breath and for my swimsuit bottoms, spit onto shore, embarrassed and sand burned, standing up only to get knocked down again, refusing to float on the surface and surrender to the sea. I've learned the hard way that change is one of God's greatest gifts and one of his most useful tools. I've learned the hard way that change can push us, pull us, rebuke us, and remake us. It can show us who we've become in the worst ways, but also in the best ways. I've learned that it's not something to run away from as though we could. And I've learned that in many cases, change is not a function of life's cruelty, but instead a function of God's graciousness. If you dig in and fight the changes, they will indeed smash you to bits. But if you can find it within you in the wildest of seasons, just for a moment, to trust in the goodness of God, who made it all, who holds it all together, you'll find yourself drawn along to a whole new place, and there's truly nothing sweeter. Unclench your fists, unlock your knees, and also the door to your heart. Take a deep breath and begin to swim. Begin to let the waves do their work in you. And again, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like for you uh, this Thanksgiving uh, to think through what you're thankful for. We actually, I don't know why we do this. We don't really have a Thanksgiving tradition. Well, we eat sushi on Thanksgiving, so that's our only tradition. But um, not even always, so it's not really a tradition. Um, uh, but um, one of our family traditions, and clearly we don't have very many, is that um, on New Year's Eve, we sit down and we make a, we do it sometime during, in, in approach of New Year's Eve, we each make a list of the 10 things we're most, most thankful for this past year, and then we have a really nice long dinner where we go, each go through our lists and we ask questions about them, and at the end of the time we thank God together for what that is, and then we try to stay up till midnight, but we don't. Um, and so... I remember when I was right in the middle of writing this book, I remember that uh, I remember in approach of New Year's Eve saying, I can't do it this year. I, the list of things I'm angry about, the list of things I lost, the list of things that feel totally out of control to me is about a mile long. And I can think of like one and a half things I'm thankful for. Like I'm going to have a terrible time making this list. And as I sat down and as I prayed and as I thought and as I was more and more honest and peeled back some of that pain and some of the sense of loss and some of the sense of chaos, I found that there was a lot more to be thankful for than I had previously realized. And, and what I saw was that God's fingerprints were all over my life in the same way they had always been. And in fact, they were more apparent because of my desperation and because of my fragility. And I suspect that the same might be true for you. This may be a year when it's very difficult right off the bat to think of the things you're thankful for. But I believe that if you do the work to get under the surface, you will find, as I have found, that God really does do some of his most extraordinary, most redemptive, most transforming work in us when our hearts are broken and our futures are unclear. It's a really different way of thinking about Thanksgiving, but I believe a much more sacred uh, and much more exciting one. And so then the second part uh, of what I want to talk with you about is, is about the, t the stories that we choose to tell. I think it's really easy uh, for us to think that the story of God gets told on Sundays, gets told in churches, gets told by people who've been to seminary, and, and you can put it all in a really great three-point sermon. 
I think that's true. It does happen all those places. I also think that God wants to tell his story through every single one of us, every day, all the time. No matter how unprepared you feel, no matter how average you think your life is, no matter how plain you think the punchline would be, um, one of the sections of scripture that just never gets old to me, um, uh, the section of scripture where Jesus heals a blind man. And immediately after the blind man is healed, he's surrounded by Pharisees, kind of the religious professionals, the experts of the day, and they want to know what happened to you. They want to quantify it. They want to make a plan for it. They want it to make sense to them. What happened to you? And what does he say? He says, all I know is I was blind and now I see. And that's all it means to tell your story. It doesn't mean you have to understand the 76 doctrines behind it. It doesn't mean you have to be able to draw it out on a chart or a graph. It just means all I know is my heart was broken and now it's been repaired. All I know is my family couldn't get along and now we do. All I know is I prayed for something and God answered my prayer. Uh, So this is called Your Story Must Be Told. There are two myths that we tend to believe about our stories. The first is that they're about us. The second is that because they're about us, they don't matter. But they're not only about us, and they matter more than ever right now. When we, when any of us who've been transformed by Christ tell our own stories, we're telling the story of who God is. I bet God's done something in your life that would make our hair stand on end if you told us about it. I bet the story God has written in your life and your home gives voice and breath and arms and legs to the gospel every bit as much as a church sermon ever did. Preaching is important, certainly, but it can't be the only way that we allow God's story to be told in our midst. The biggest, most beautiful story in the world deserves better than to be told by the same old voices over and over again. I think it's time for each of us to do what we can to speak the extraordinary story of God into life in our own ways, whoever we are, not defined by degree, gender, race, or format. Because the big story really is being told through our little stories. And by sharing our stories, not just our sermons, we're telling God's stories in as reverent and divine ways as it's ever been told. God's story was told in Greek and Hebrew, and I believe it's also being told in whispers and paintings and blogs and dinner tables all over the world. When I worked at a church a few years ago, it was my job to help people tell their stories on Sunday mornings at our gatherings. And a funny thing happened. When we were at the coffee shop and it was just me and them and their story, their story came out all raw and unvarnished in fits and starts. We laughed and cried, and every time I was amazed at what God had done in this person's life. And then almost every time when they arrived on Sunday, they looked a little less like themselves. They were kind of a distant, polished, fancy version of themselves, and more remarkably, when they walked up on that stage, they sounded a lot less like themselves. They stopped believing that their story was enough, and they started saying all the phrases and quoting all the verses that we've all heard a thousand times, turning them from sacred songs into platitudes and cliches. They did it because we have trained them and been trained ourselves to believe that a story is not enough. I couldn't disagree more. Let's resist the temptation to hide behind theology the way a bad professor hides behind theorems and formulas. We dilute the beauty of the gospel story when we divorce it from our lives, our worlds, the stories and images that God is writing right now on our lives. And let's stop acting as if religious professionals are the only ones who have a right and a responsibility to tell God's story. 
you're a person of faith, it's your responsibility to tell God's story in every way you can, every form, every medium, every moment. Tell the stories of love and redemption and forgiveness every time you experience them. Tell stories of reconciliation and surprise and new life everywhere you find them. In one of my favorite Tyler James songs, he says, my life's not a story about me. My life's not a story about me, and your life's not a story about you. It's a story about who God is and what he does in a human heart, and there's nothing small or inconsequential about that. When we tell the truth about our lives, the broken parts, the secret parts, the beautiful parts, then the gospel comes to life, an actual story about redemption instead of abstraction and theory and things you learned a long time ago in Sunday school. If I could ask you to do just one thing, it's this. Consider that your own silence may be part of the problem. If you've been sitting silently year after year, hoping that someone will finally start speaking a language that makes sense to you, may I suggest that you're that person. If you've been longing to hear a new language for faith, one that rises and falls like a song, may I suggest that you start singing. If you want your community to be marked by radical honesty, by risky, terrifying, ultimately redemptive truth-telling, you must start by telling your truth first. You know that I'm a pastor's kid, and what that means is that I've spent my life surrounded by deeply gifted pastors, great leaders, brilliant pe preachers. I understand, possibly better than the average person, the temptation to simply continue letting them tell God's story. I settled myself into the back row, certain that a girl like me had nothing to contribute, and that everything in the world that needed to be said was already being said by people like them, extremely talented, polished people who never seem scared, who know the systems and the forms and the formulas like the backs of their hands. But there is one thing that those pastors and preachers and leaders cannot do, one thing they can never do. They can't tell my story. Only I can tell my story, and only you can tell your story. So don't allow the story of God, the sacred transforming story of what God does in a human heart, to become flat and lifeless. If we choose silence, if we allow the gospel to be told only on Sundays, only in sanctuaries, only by approved and educated professionals, that life-changing story will lose its ability to change lives. It always goes back to, be, to the beginning, no matter how far we've wandered off course. When Christ walked among us, he entrusted the gospel to plain old regular people who were absolutely not religious professionals. If you have been transformed by the grace of God, then you have within you all you need to write your manifesto, your poem, your song, your battle cry, your love letter to a beautiful and broken world. Your story must be told. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift that it is to gather together. Thank you for each person here and for the story that you're writing on their lives. Thank you for the beautiful parts, the easy parts, the parts that are so uh, worth celebrating. And thank you as well for the broken parts, the secret parts, the falling apart uh, that we wish wasn't true. We know that nothing is wasted in your economy. We know that nothing is beyond your reach, and your power to repair and bring new life is like nothing we can imagine. I pray for this holiday season that we would be people who strike upon a new way of thanksgiving, a deeper, more hard-won, hard-earned, 
ability to see your fingerprints in even the darkest of days. I pray that you would help us to be courageous, to believe in your beauty and intervention even before we can see it. Pray that you would help us to be genuinely thankful. And I pray that you would help us to use this season well to tell the most important story in the world in the way that you're writing it in all of our lives. I pray that you would help us to cut through the chaos and the noise and settle down into the true most important stories, the stories of your work of redemption and forgiveness and rebuilding all over our lives. We thank you for the gift that it is to gather together. In your name we pray. Amen.